Can you hear me now? I mean, are yes, we good? Yeah. No, we're good. We're good. We're good. We, we, we got ourselves. Uh, yeah. I, you know, it's funny because we, this, we were, uh, people were discussing their favorite podcasts on Hacker News over the weekend. And some said that they listened to Oxide Friends. But, like, but I'm pretty sure they're like moving away from Twitter spaces. And I'm like, no, no, we just complain about it all the time. But I think, sorry. <laughs> and, and that's like a reasonable inference. But we know. No, we're not. We're not moving away from it. We're, we're here. Yeah. I mean, I got to say, I mean, we've been doing this a minute and I, I love it. I love the, the pipeline of like, we got to get uh, from, from, I mean, obviously we get, we get the complaining, but we get the pipeline of Monday nights to eventually YouTube and then eventually podcast. It's great. It's great. No, it is great. And actually getting it out as a podcast. Has been fun. So that's been, that, that has been, uh, it's been great. And uh, we are now uh, begin as, especially as we begin to uh, bring this rack to market. Um, and we've got folks that have helped us as uh, as partners that are wondering, like, hey, like, how can we like join in and talk about Oxide? It's like we well, can join our Twitter space. So we may, dear listeners, we may get a little weird. We may have some folks that we are some partners join us. We're excited for that. So look for that in the next couple of weeks. I think it's gonna be fun. Um, so I am. We uh, we were originally going to talk supply chain with Kate. Kate couldn't make it tonight, so she we're going to do that in two weeks, which is going to be a lot of fun. Um, but so uh, tonight we are, or this afternoon, the evening, wherever you are. Um, I, I have to say, Adam, I, I am unreasonably excited for this. So <laughs> good, 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 because I only have like one or two pieces of uh, conventional wisdom. So I'm looking forward to so many. hearing your litany of them. I've got so <laughs> many. I, I, and I don't know. And I, it's so in particular, so the, the, this is a, uh, a, 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 a person that, that, that I have followed. Um, and she posed the question of what's a, a piece of, Common catchy advice that sounds right, but you think is actually very, very wrong. And I, I don't think. Uh, and she started with "follow your passion." We'll leave that one aside. Um, but uh, th- I have to say, this just—I I have an avalanche of these that occurred to me when she phrased this. So I, I'm really excited to get into some of these. Um, should, should we start with the one that that I quote tweeted? Is that fair, Adam? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a great All right. Start. So the uh, so the, the one that I started with, and again, I think there are a bunch of these. I've tried to come up with things that like I believed at one time because they sound so plausible. And one that just sounds incredibly plausible is you should dual source everything, um, which seems reasonable. In fact, I think like I myself believed this up until like not that long ago. I think I don't even know, um, but I, I I definitely don't believe this now. I think that this is actually very very wrong now and uh there were plenty of people who are like what are you talking about and let me put an asterisk on this with with the supply chain crunch that exists out there uh you people are having to do whatever you need to do to get the things that you need so i'm not like not casting judgment on anyone who's seeking second sources for things but the i I think that there's this idea that for any component in a system you should be able to that you will get your best price if you have an alternate source to go to and the reason i think that that's wrong is it discounts the relationship that you build with your partners and what would uh, i discovered when we were at a company that uh did that believed ardently in dual sourcing absolutely everything is that we were always at the back of everyone's line that, that that we didn't build really it was really hard for us to build really meaningful relationships 
those relationships were strictly transactional and they were constantly the, the, the way we got things was effectively by threatening them by saying, you know, if you don't provide this to me, I've got this other vendor who, and they will provide it to me. And uh, people don't like that. You know, it's just not something that people want to like that. That's not something that they actually want to partner with. Yeah. I mean, it says the whole tenor of the relationship as fundamentally adversary. That's right. Right. Like, like zero sum, I win, you lose. Uh, and I, I also like, I don't value the thing you produce any more than any other thing. That's right. Uh, and I got like, I got two other folks, three other, I got a line of other people that can replace you. So, you know, if, if you, if you don't please me, I'm going to, it's just like, it, it, it just feels, uh, it, it is, it ends up being really adversarial. And then when something goes wrong, and, you know, you need someone to actually, like, you know, a, a partner to really help you through a tough situation. They're going to be like, well, you know, why? Yeah. <laughs> why don't you go to your lower yeah, exactly. or, right. or whatever, right? Totally. Like, right. Or so equivalent. They're, they're so equivalent. If, if, you pre if you value your precious equivalent so much. So <laughs> we, I mean, and it's certainly at Oxide, we, we took a very, very different and very deliberate approach of uh, we don't want to actually have second sources on everything. What we want to do is make really conscious decisions and really invest in people and invest in relationships and go really, really deep. And because we want to be, uh, we believe in, and actually, and I don't know, Adam, if, if you kind of agree with this nomenclature that we have of, of differentiating between vendors and partners and, a vendor is someone that we don't have a relationship with who is kind of, I mean, you know, and kind of shipping is kind of the, I mean, with shipping, we don't actually have like a, a real shipping true partner, right? We kind of, you know, we use FedEx and we use UPS and we use pirate ship. Have you used pirate ship at all, Adam? <laughs> no, I haven't. If, if we're, this is a shipping yes, vendor? Called, <laughs> they're called pirate ship, but they're, they're right. amazing. I, this is someone that Rick turned us on to. Um, Steve, I hope I'm not, I'm not divulging any kind of like a, a trade secret. The fact that we're using, they're using, I'm, pirate ship, I think is right. I, you know, the way I'm describing it now, it sounds like I'm making it up, but I don't think I am. Um, but it really does sound like you're making it up, but it is uh, every time I ship with FedEx and UPS, there's a couple of oxide folks that are just like, why are you not using pirate ship? So uh, no, we do we do use it, and apparently it gets you a a heavy discount on a very commoditized experience. And so that's the closest thing we've actually got to a relationship there. But that's not like a that is a transaction for us. We're just trying to ship this thing. It's a transaction, um, so that we treat as a vendor. But for anything that is a a component that we are building out of, we treat that as a or we want to treat that as a partnership. We want to go deep, and because we and there are a bunch of reasons for that. One. We and, and this served us well in the supply chain crunch. You really do need to be working together with the your your component providers in a true partnership. Um, I mean, to give you a super concrete example of that, we um, our fan provider is Sanyo Denki, and we had a like everybody supply problems with Sanyo with, with fan providers. Fans are a, an absolute mess from a supply chain perspective all fans. 
And the problem is not the fans. It's actually some of the components in the fans. And because we've got such a good relationship with them, they were willing to like, hey, let's take this thing apart and maybe we can work together to solve it. So we helped them solve their supply chain problem. I don't know how you got keyed into this, but we... Yeah, no, I did. I heard about us acquiring this component and sort of injecting it into their manufacturing process again because we because of the strength of that relationship, and that's not the kind of thing that they would do for someone who's just looking for the. No, it definitely not. And I think well, yeah, and, 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 and also to be clear, like they want they want nothing to do with people crawling their ball. And I don't mean Sanyo Denki in particular. I'm talking about like any component manufacturer. The last thing they want is customers crawling their supply chain and being like, oh. The lead time is X number of weeks. Like, why? Tell me which one of your sub suppliers is the problem so I can go beat on their door. So, like, first of all, that is just not a path available to most uh, in general. And it was only because, you know, I think we, we, we built a good trusted relationship with them that they were willing to entertain, like, okay, uh, <laughs> if you want to try and go second source, you know, certain things uh, to help us solve our supply chain problem, we're willing to, to, to contemplate that. And, uh, obviously, the outcome means instead of facing down uh, year plus lead times on things, being able to navigate a tough supply chain situation to be able to get, you know, much, much better availability, certainly punching well above the weight of a, of a startup. It, absolutely. And that has been I think we, we've seen that up, down and all around. I, I just have not. Steve, I don't think we've regretted once. I, I think we have always felt that the strength of the relationship has bought us more than than dual sourcing would have bought us. It feels like it's it has been the right, but it's it's still this kind of conventional wisdom to the point that people were definitely like disagreeing with it about dual sourcing. So, um, you know, th thinking back to Fishworks, Brian, where we were building the storage product, um, do you think that hurt us some? Because I feel like we were, and correct me if I'm wrong, had dual source on a bunch of the disk drives we were mm -hmm. using, <laughs> and we had a bunch of problems with the disk drives we were using. Um, and to some degree, Sun, uh, you know, the Sun procurement or the Sun supply chain folks, I think, kept us at arm's length from some of these vendors because they didn't want to undermine their ability to apply prices. For sure, for sure, for sure. And I mean, it, it is, uh, it does tell you something about the state of the industry that we've already done an entire Twitter space on the firmware that caused us so much grief. <laughs> on the, the the Seagate Barracuda drives, right? And the and we should have gone all in Hitachi. Sun should have gone gone in all in Hitachi. Like there was night and day difference between the HGST drives and the Seagate drives, even though they're effectively the same price and they're offering. The, but at that time, there and and indeed, like that casts a long shadow. That's like our our for our NVMe drives, it's WD that is providing the NVMe drives. And that, I mean, that's HGST's legacy. That, that is effectively, you know, HGST, a couple companies down the, down the road because of the strength of that relationship. And yeah, Adam, I totally agree with you because we were not getting, I think, very, uh, we were not getting very good treatment from those folks, certainly from Seagate. Um, and so it didn't really buy us very much in the end to, to have that be dual sourced. Yeah. And you can see how like, this happens at bigger companies where procurement takes over and, and their MBO or whatever is to get the lowest price, not to build the closest engineering relationship. So as these things get segmented between different organizations, um, you kind of lose some of that kind of that lose sight of that. North yeah. Point. And I think you, you lose sight of that kind of that, some of that shared responsibility, which is also really important to us where we want 
and certainly the way we view the product that we're making is that we take a shared responsibility with our customer success and we want our partners to have that same sense. And you're not going to get that by trying to play everyone off one another. You're just not. You're going to get that by going deep on folks. And, and it's amazing also like how iconoclastic this view is apparently. Because when we talk to our partners, they're like, oh my God, it is such a breath of fresh air to hear that. You're like, okay, what, are, is, does everyone just abuse you all the time? It's like, yes, pretty much. I mean, that's like, that's so. Well, I, and then I don't know, the chaser on that is like, can you imagine needing to maintain dual oh sources God. on a lot of these things? I mean, uh, I mean, just like, do imagine Intel support in addition to AMD support would, would be extraordinary. Absolutely. And it would, it, I mean, which is to even suggest it would be possible, which right. probably isn't. No, no, it, it, absolutely. And then like you, and just like the Seagate Hitachi thing, where it's like you have problems on one of these things. Like now, what does that mean? Like, are you gonna like what you should do is like to actually ditch it. But you've you've got this kind of the, the, this uh, you know this kind of false idol of dual sourcing, so you can't do the thing you should do, which is ditch it when it doesn't when one of them doesn't work. So yeah, yeah, and then, and then up the stack, you know, folks. I think it, it it inhibits folks from innovating because they they say you know I, if I if I have a a vendor that's promising me or showing me something differentiated. I can't adopt it unless I find someone else doing something similar, which is the antithesis of innovation. Totally. So it can it can it can it can limit how organizations adopt new technologies. Um, you know, if they if they you know have this obstacle of dual. dual yeah, I mean, and, and I mean, a concrete example of that is Intel Tofino, right? Which is what our switch silicon. Um, we're really excited about Tofino because of it, it's got first class support for P4. I mean, Barefoot was really one of the company that was leading the charge on P4. And so it's funny, you talk to Barefoot, this is true when you talk to the Intel, it's true when you talk to Samtech, which has uh, been a partner up and down for us, but around connectivity. Uh, you know, we end up being a breath of fresh air for them because we are doing the thing that they actually want everyone to do. Um, like it, it, Intel Tofino doesn't want to be just used to get a price break on Broadcom. That's actually not how they want to be used. They were like, hey, we've done this stuff that's really interesting, but you know, can people please build on this innovation and you know you end up getting a much stronger relationship by actually doing that so we're pro put rings on fingers people <laughs> That's right. break the cycle of bigamy um all right adam do you, do you have uh yeah, yeah okay i got one and uh i'm gonna i'm gonna i don't have a pithy um encapsulation of it but I want you to tell me first if this feels like conventional <laughs> wisdom before I disagree with it, okay? And and I think it's and I've heard this from lots of sources, um, uh, something along the lines of, I could decide what people were doing if I were in charge, or if I was in charge, you know, I could have the the way I want it to be could be the way it is. So let me pause there. Does that sound like conventional wisdom? Okay, so th- give me a couple more sentences. So <laughs> the so, like, I, for in particular, like, I, I, I've spoken with many software engineers or folks on my team who imagine becoming a manager and then the things that they want done or the way that they think it should be being something that they can snap their fingers and make happen mm. and that people will kind of fall in line <laughs> around, yeah. around their vision. Mm. And I know I'm, I'm, I'm describing this in increasingly implausible ways, but I think that this is something I've, that that certainly folks who have not experienced it feel like should be true. 
Like this is this is how management works. I think there are many misconceptions about how management works, including that management involves telling other people what to do. I think that there that that is like <laughs> oh no problem. Like I will I can tell people what to do. It's like well you can try that. That yeah, and and that might work like the first or the second or the third time, but it it uh, it just runs out of gas incredibly quickly, and you have like basically no leash so if you're wrong at all then you've completely lost everyone's confidence um and that like i I think that people don't recognize that that servant management is is kind of the the standard that like people have ideas and opinions and expectations and you're serving those like and maybe you're guiding folks and and pointing them the right direction and hopefully helping them make sound decisions but uh, it's really about assembling the team and pointing them in the right direction rather than standing at the front and, and making everyone follow. Absolutely. Idea. Command and control does not work in I think. It, and it, it, I guess it depends on what degree creativity is involved in an endeavor. But the more creativity is involved or ingenuity, innovation, the less command and control works. Yeah, I yeah, know. Absolutely. Especially as you get to problems where where it can't kind of fit in one person's brain that uh, you need to enable that and, and committed control just, just squashes that rather than, uh, you know, encouraging it. Yes. Yes. No, I buy that. I think that is a bit of conventional wisdom. I think people, I think they underestimate, and you definitely see this, I have to say in the, uh, what's, what's, what's a non-patronizing, non-pejorative way to phrase this. It's when the children are running companies, Adam, <laughs> when the children are running companies. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I'm not going to disagree. I, I mean, like, look, I, 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 I don't want to disparage anyone early in their career because I was early in my career once too. We all were. Um, but when you have someone who is super early in their career, like it's their first kind of job and they are leading a team or God forbid leading a company, it, there are people who are wise beyond their years who, who learn very quickly how to lead. But I would say many of those folks try to do command and control in a way that does not work. Uh, and yeah, it's uh, the, the results are predictable, I would say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, and in fact, I, I've heard folks, uh, I mean, in a related kind of piece of wisdom in early startups, suggesting that sort of fewer opinions are, are important. Mm. Uh, and I, 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 I get it in one no. sense through like <laughs> kind of staying focused or whatever. Somehow I think that that, that is always uttered by the person whose opinion is going to stay in the boat. Yeah, no, that sounds right. But I, I think uh, this idea of like, you know, we don't want to be distracted. We don't want to, you know, focus is important. That's true. But, um, but uh, you know, there's, there's obviously a, a bunch of myopia that comes with that kind of perspective. Um, yeah, anyway. Adam, do you see why we're having this conversation that we need fewer opinions around here? You know whose opinions I'm maybe talking about? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Can you guess? Yeah. Whose opinions? opinions? When I say fewer opinions, whose opinions do you think of? Yeah, no, I, 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 uh, yeah. I think it's, I mean, it all goes to, you know, that it's tough to get that because you, you need to get, stoke that intrinsic motivation. You need to... Um, I, I think also that you can run into a trap, uh, a kind of a false sense of consensus too, of needing to, because you don't need to get consensus for everything, but you also, you have to avoid this command and control trap, which just does not work very well in the limit. It's hard. Yeah. It's hard. Yeah, yeah no, for sure. Which 
yeah, finding that balance between focus and, uh, and but but still kind of considering relevant opinions, but then driving to con- you know sufficient consensus and moving on. Yeah, it's tricky to find that balance. It is, and it just it, leadership is hard, management is hard, which leads me to a myth. I know Steve, you're here. I want to give I, I, I want to get you in on a myth as well, but leads me to one to, to uh, one that is a, 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 a one that we have heard quite a bit that I adamantly disagree with. Well or I think is much more nuanced than this, which is hardware is hard. <laughs> yeah, you should have seen that oh, one. Oh, you should have seen that one. That, yeah, yeah. And, and it's certainly one that, I mean, whatever, sounds right. Right. Because right? it's like right there in the well, it's name. Also like it's, it, well, it's, it's right there in the name. Also, like, what, what are you going to take the other side of this? That hardware is easy? Plenty hard. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, hardware is definitely hard. But so is management, as we just described. So is leadership. So is software, by the way. So is hiring. So are sales. So is marketing. Like, it's all fucking hard. Yeah. So can we stop saying hardware is hard, please? Yeah, it's not especially hard. It's just that it's, it's like anything that's hard. You just need to – that you it, – it's, it's hard, but you just need to go to work. And you, what I think I hate, and Steve, I know what drives you nuts too, is when – but maybe VCs use hardware as hard as an excuse to not actually do the heavy intellectual lifting of figuring out what the, the real yeah. work. Yeah. Seriously, right. It's like, Oh, do you only invest in easy things? Oh. Is that, is that your investment thesis? <laughs> yes, things that are things easy? That are easy. That is like, uh, yes, that is our investment thesis. Why? How do you <laughs> things that <laughs> have you seen? The yeah. It's memo? things that are easy. Plus Adam Newman. That's our entire investment thesis. Are you unaware? I'm sorry. The, sorry, I, 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 you know, I was going to try to get through this entire Twitter space without mentioning that. Little too early for. Yeah, I, I, exactly. I mean, Adam, you, that's going to derail. You, you have seen this, I trust. Yes, yeah, yeah, don't be. Yes, I have. Um, Although I got to it in a weird way, which was through like an Elizabeth Holmes subtweet, where I just needed to like, you know, pull at that thread <laughs> to figure. How out is that a weird? No, you why. got at it. At, was this was this Elizabeth Holmes behind the tree rubbing her hands? Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 You got it. You got oh it my god! Die, Doctor Pepper just came out my nose. That is, <laughs> I have not seen this tweet. That is absolutely hilarious. Yes, that's the right way to come to it. Absolutely. All right. So hardware is hard. I disagree with that one. Steve, you do you have one? Yeah. Um, and, and these are kind of two of them that are pretty similar. But uh, the one that that always kind of bugged me a bit was just the, the uniform move fast and break. Oh. <laughs> yeah. And like, I think it, not 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 that uh, that velocity and urgency are not important, but uh, there's an important like direction is also important. Quality is also important. And uh, I think, you know, we witnessed this uh, failure mode firsthand when a uh, cloud computing company we were at was acquired by a very large global multinational company. And uh, when we got there, they basically gave us the directive of like, let's go 10x this business in, you know, six months. And and by that, I mean, you know, go build out data centers all over the globe and um, our our disposition was like, you know, that, that would be fast in, in some dimensions, um, <laughs> but there's a, and, and, and things will certainly break. Uh, and, uh, and, but, you know, I think this is a good opportunity for us to all take a deep breath and think about the right foundation for what we're going to go build on. 
Uh, Literally, by the time you finish that sentence, the room has already emptied. You're like, hello, anybody? Okay. All right. (laughs) (laughs) And so like they, we would affect, I don't know if it was affectionate, but we would kind of give them the moniker of all gas pedal, no steering wheel. And the, what, what they told us when we protested a bit, just saying like, Hey, you know, I think it would make sense just because we're going to go build out this, you know, let's get a blueprint. We'll go build off of this in each one of the regions. And they kind of like hushed us and just said, um, we prefer to change the tires while driving down the highway, which again, (laughs) have you, I mean, if you, Adam, presumably, have you heard this before? I mean, I heard this so many times. I don't know if I heard it for the first time there. I definitely, Oh God, I I heard it. I, I, no, but, but all gas pedal, no steering wheel. I had not heard until today, and now this is the second. Well, I'll gas pedal the steering wheel. Was definitely was 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 I think our more pithy way of phrasing. I, I don't, I'm not sure. I'm not yeah. sure that they were into that characterization. But the like we no we we, we, we change the tire while the truck is moving. We heard that one a lot. There different variants of that. And you're like, do you want me to walk you? Th- like, have you? I mean, does that like logistically? Like, logistically, like, like who, who has like, the jack in this? And like, how does this work exactly? And how do they yeah, survive, the or is this, that an ancillary the question? The only way this works is if the car, if the truck is being towed because it is broken down and you're changing, <laughs> like, the front wheel. Like, this is – there's no good outcomes here in the limit. And, again, it's – you know, I think move fast and break things, changing the truck tire while driving down the highway, uh, dual source vendors. I think there is a commonality amongst these, which is, like, short-term thinking. Yes. Like short-term gains that have major long-term pain, and it it is that one certainly did because you know issues that we had found at small scale we we got to experience at very large scale much faster than anyone should have, and um, yeah that 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 one we learned a lot of lessons in those in those three we, years. We, we learned a lot of lessons. Um, we did, and and I think but I think you're right in terms of it is that it is this. I think there's also this kind of velocity theater that it's important that I am perceived as moving quickly, even if it's like, well, what if this is the wrong thing to do? Like, what what if you're, and I mean, I think the the, the part of the problem is that that gets like, oh, are you saying that we should analyze every decision in a crippling fashion? It's like, no, I think that's a false dichotomy. Like, can we, I, I, I think it's possible to actually move a little bit more deliberately and still move with urgency. Um, this is like the products versus uh, i mean this is like the uh like bugs versus features totally or tech debt versus features kind of false dichotomy of of like yes i know customers ask for features and they don't necessarily see the tech debt but uh you know there's a healthy balance here and it's not sort of well or actually so i'm just to pick at that even that the idea of tech debt i mean because when you've got tech debt it's like look we are acknowledging that we made a hasty decision in the past and now we need to spend you know the longer amount of time to clean up that hasty decision it's like well what if we actually just made the right decision to begin i mean like radical idea it's like no no no. we would much rather make the wrong decision quickly and then quickly pay down the tech debt to undo the wrong decision. He's like, okay, all right, I, I, I need to up my dosage of crazy pills. And, you know, maybe, maybe it is my opinion that needs to be thrown out of the boat. Um, so I, yeah, I, I definitely think that that's a, uh, something that, and again, it's like, 
I, I don't think that we want, it's not an excuse for kind of analysis paralysis. Like we, we definitely need to, to, to actually move with urgency. I also feel like bias for action is another one. I mean, now we're just going through the Uber leadership principles, but, the, <laughs> um, but I, I think that's one that you've got to be just like super careful with. Cause it's one of those things that sound like bias for action. Like, yeah, I'm biased for action. And, but bias for action, Steve, is kind of another variant of what you're saying. It's like, yes okay the action is very important and we do not want to be again we don't want to be paralyzed but boy it would be nice if we could just take half a beat and just make sure that we're taking the right step forward and then also acknowledge if we if we take the wrong step forward that we can actually back up i mean this is something i do like from amazon that most decisions are reversible i do think a lot of decisions are reversible but some are definitely not Disagree and commit. Just stop. Okay, I, I'm really sorry. I, I should not have even opened that Pandora's box. <laughs> I, I, the, I we're, we're, we are you know T minus four seconds of super pumpedness. Uh, okay, I got another one. Um, so I I, I think I'm uh, actually I don't even know which one to pick next. I'm going to go with uh, higher fast fire fast is one that I that I think I might have even believed at some point, but is I think is absolutely wrong. That that that's a great one, Brian. I mean, so it, it, that is a great false <laughs> common wisdom. That is a, a aphorism that we hear all the time. That is so demonstrably false. It is and I assume false. you're saying this because, like, I mean, first of all, go ahead, hire fast if you can. But like, that's fucking hard. And then second, I've never seen anyone. Fire never fast. seen anyone fire fast. It, what I've oh, never and, seen anyone fire fast. And even when the, I, I mean, I should put a qualifier on there. There have been. People that have done things that are so bad, I have seen them be quickly fired. But generally, that's not the general case. I mean, generally, the not the case is not you're tossing out dead coworkers. And generally, people are like, "Oh, let's give them now. Oh, they 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 were a bad fit there, but let's move them over here. Let's try this." So I totally agree with you. Yeah, and firing fast. I mean, and it, it is such a. It would, if people were able to do it, have such a weird effect on the team. Oh my God, you, usually, when usually when you're like when you're firing someone, yes. you kind of want to make it like you want most people to either say "I don't care" because or that makes sense, right? Like that's the that's the full gamut of reaction that you ideally want from the yes. team. And if you're firing fast, it's like, well, does that mean I'm next? Like, totally. Who's next? Like, what's going on? And here? by the way, do you know who thinks they're next? Always, always <laughs> the, the top, top performers. performers. Always. Absolutely. It is the that, – that you have terminated someone who's a total turkey and was a major problem. But, like, they're a major problem that was maybe in a way that other people didn't necessarily see. And it is always your top performers that think they're next. And it's, like, hard to explain. Like, no, no, no. You're – no, no. Trust me. No, no, no. You're, no, you're nowhere close to next. Um, but they're like, oh, so there is a list. Okay, but someone else is next. You're like, no, no, no. Wait a minute. Hold on. Let me rephrase that. Um, it's just really hard not to get to a culture of fear. I feel like it's the human resources variant of dual source everything. <laughs> dual source everything, including your own employees. Yes. <laughs> yes. It's like it's adversarial. People are generic. Yes. Uh, they're commodities. And so and the other reason that I think the other kind of side of this is the other time I've seen this used is when you've got someone coming in that people have got some objections to. And they're like, no, no, don't worry. If they don't work out, we'll fire them. And, the, and so the, I, I feel like the, the higher fast is almost as dangerous as the fire fast. And I've seen – because the, the, the fire fast, like we never actually fire fast, but we do end up hiring fast. And you're like, okay, now I've got this person who's like 
we who is like we've had him. Also, I've also found, by the way, nobody wants to post more of a bad hire. I mean, it's like, it's like move fast and break things too, right? It's used as a justification to blow through all the all the red lights and all the stop signs yes. um, with you no know, no one considering what happened <laughs> after it's all a mess, right? And you and then like when you finally, if you especially if you have a an employee who needs to be terminated, which is really you know drastic, basically like you can't work here, and they and you know especially in some ways if there's consensus that this person needs to go by the time you get them out people are just like oh god i just want to move on in my life like nobody wants to sit down and be like okay just remind me like as i recall in our meeting talking about this person you were strongly advocating that we would fire them quickly it's like no one people just want to move on and so yeah i think that one is a hire fast fire fast i do not believe in and i just never want to hear it I, i i so that's a that's a big one for me that's a very good I mean, there, there is an argument to be made for utilizing the probation period for its intended purpose, which is like making it, making it clear that, you know, there is this window of time in which we are still figuring things out. Okay, so I'm going to take the other side of that. And I, I'm, I'm, just, I'm saying this because, like, if you have a co-worker that you have reservations about, it is important to talk to your manager about it prior to the probationary period expiring and not shortly thereafter because you know depending on your local jurisdiction um probationary periods do uh, have like some backing in law um and have some backing in in like workers rights yeah so so, so i'm gonna i'm gonna push back on that so so i i mean it depends on your definition of fast six months feels fast to me but i've been in my current job for a very long time well so so i know i just don't like probationary periods because of the message that it sends to new hires i mean i remember when i mean sun had a formalized probationary period and they're like look we're obligated to tell you about this probationary period which i didn't really like learn about until after i had arrived and I mean, we in California is an at-will state, like most states in the U.S. Like you can be terminated anytime for any reason, anyway. So it's like the, the the idea of a probationary period is only serves to instill your top performers, I think, with fear. And I think if you've got reservations about a new hire, like get conviction. How can you get conviction before you make that decision? And I think so. Another another uh, this this may be very. I'm, we're definitely going from hot take to hot take here. I do think this is, I I can't even believe I'm saying this, but I think that it is worth approaching new additions to a team like the way VCs approach investment in that one of the things about the way VCs approach investment is they need to get a hundred percent conviction. And if they get to 98%, they don't invest. And I think if you've got reservations about someone, what are the things that you can do short of hiring them? to address that reservation. What's the follow-up conversation that you can have? What's the, what are the things that you can go do to at least have this conversation before this person arrives? Like, hey, here's the reservations we have. Can you help us mitigate these reservations or how can we work together to mitigate them? Uh, I agree with the one caveat of like, also being careful not to poison that totally. relationship. I know that, totally. sounds, I know that sounds obvious. I know that sounds obvious. Oh, absolutely. I think that, you know, like having them do additional work or, or, or even being candid of like, we have reservations about you. Like, please, you know, sing for your supper. Um, you know, you need, if you get to yes, you you need it to be on terms that uh, set them up for success. Totally, totally. 
So yeah, I, and I, I hear what you're saying, but I, uh, I'm just a big. I, I think that it's it's because then you also have this now this kind of uh, this strange transition in work. We definitely see this in academia where you go from no job security to absolute job security. And I, I mean, does anyone think that that's a good system? I mean, I think that it's like, uh, the, yeah. I mean, I, I, this is this advice is definitely coming from the point of view of labor laws within Australia, where we are not at a at will, right? Um, and that that means that the probation period is also written into law, and it ha- you do have a little bit more leeway during that period as to what you can do, as opposed to after that period when the amount of evidence you need to accumulate goes up substantially. Um, so, you know, I think that that may not apply in, in uh, U.S. labor yeah. markets. Yeah, no, but it's a good point. Um, it's certainly, your lo- local labor market's definitely very, this is not legal advice, even though Adam loves to dispense both legal, financial, and tax advice, my understanding. <laughs> Just to be clear, this is not true, <laughs> but please continue. Uh, this man does not represent me. Okay, so speaking of legal advice, there is something that we've done that is very iconoclastic that I don't know that there's like an aphorism around this, but it maybe there no one feels there needs to be one because what we've done is so iconoclastic there. Uh, Oxide has worked with, over the course of our existence, four different law firms on different like tasks. <laughs> Adam, like... No, I was like, I, I, of this I was not aware but on different tasks makes more yes. sense. Yes, so we've got like... So are you are you laying this out to then propose that you are debunking this conventional wisdom to at least have four law firms? Yeah, I, no, I feel the conventional wisdom yeah. should yeah. be that we should have at least four yeah. law firms. Minimum. Minimum four, I would say. Like if you don't have uh, the... No, but I think that actually when you... So I, I do think, and maybe this is this uh, isn't conventional wisdom, but should be, that when you are engaging... Because because we make sure that we quad source our we quad, advice. Right. right. We go, because, right. That's, that's right. We else. want it to be an adversarial relationship. That's right. That's right. That's right. That's right. Dual sourcing, I got I got major problems with. Quad sourcing, you've got my attention. That's the, that's interesting. That's that's the way to do it. No, I feel that be because we for to be clear on different tasks, not adversarially, but we've got we've engaged different different folks, different professionals on different tasks that I think has been, again, you know what, maybe this is, maybe this will become conventional wisdom after, but, uh, but it's not now. Never mind. I'm so sorry. That, that NDA was not intended for you. That's for other law firms. I'm sorry. Did we, sure. I thought you said we're in an open relationship. We thought you were cool with it. Okay. Apparently not. Uh, all right. Moving right along. Um, th- I mean, you, you must have at least two if you have any immigration law. Well, we do. That is so. Yeah, no, that's we've got a, a uh, we've got a lawyer who a firm that specializes in immigration. She's terrific, by the way. If you need a recommendation for Jen, uh, we got immigration, labor, venture debt, and general counsel. Those are the those are kind of the the, the four. But um, now that I'm saying it, it sounds actually totally bonkers, even though and and, and not. Uh, patents, which is another place where we often that's on my list. A, a that's a good segue to on my list. I to what degree do people accept that startups should not have patents, Adam? Uh, zero. Oh, okay, I think that like pe- people think that startups should have. Okay, patents. good. Well, that's conventionalism. They definitely shouldn't. That's conventionalism. That, that definitely qualifies. I mean, right? We we that, that is not a. a, a 
Yeah, no, I think that qualifies, and I think investors uh, are maybe laggards in this regard, and, and see, see, it's like that's the way you protect. That's why you have and shall and will protect the thing that is valuable about your company. You know, I kind of feel that entrepreneurs are more likely to patent things than investors are to ask about patent portfolio. Interesting. Yeah, that that, that well may be because because they're also kind of demonstrating the value of their company. And kind of getting that attaboy from the U.S. Patent yes. Office. Yes, they are seeking validation from the U.S. Patent Office. And investors don't actually care about that validation. Uh, and, we, the, and then the, like, what you're actually getting out of it is, uh, it is questionable, to say the least. So, yeah, I think that that is, a, is definitely something that sounds good that I disagree with. Patenting your idea is generally not a good idea, actually. I think. Yeah. I mean, uh, like, so we have zero patent applications. Is that right for Oxford? I think we've got zero. Yeah. I think it's right. Yeah. Yeah. It's a pretty low number. A pretty low number. Uh, yeah. And, and, or at least how about e- even if it um, isn't the right thing to do, it, it certainly doesn't afford you a lot of protections that you might think otherwise, or, or rather if you're going to pursue some patent, you really got to think through why you're doing that. Yes. Right, like, is it to get like because the plaque on the wall obviously means extremely little. Uh, when it comes to defending your IP against some megalocorp, well, you've already lost because you're not <laughs> yeah. gonna you're not gonna put your Series C directly to the lawyers. Like, you're not gonna give them thirty million bucks or whatever. So, uh, so just like that's that's not the reason. So, why are you doing it? Why are you doing? It? That's actually a very good. So it, that's a good way of thinking about it. Why do you feel you need to patent this? What does that mean? Because it doesn't actually increase the value of your company. No. And that's, I, no. I, I think that, and you can argue to the degree that it did at one point, but lots of things have changed, not least that with the John Roberts court um, has really changed a lot of patent law. And uh, that there's, we're a long way from where we were 10, 15, 20 years ago. Yeah, no, right on. I think that's a great one. Uh, I got another one for you. Uh, measure everything. That's a good one. That's a, that is that is a that's some great conventional wisdom. Uh, you hear it a lot, and it has that sort of you know TED Talk <laughs> ring of truth. It totally has the TED Talk Malcolm Gladwell esque. Next slide. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yes, yes. Uh, and right next slide. I will take no. I will take no questions on this slide. <laughs> that's right. Okay, but you obviously agree with me, Adam, that it doesn't actually make. Yeah, you know, I'm 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 sort of like I um, one of my favorite things that I learned. Maybe this is maybe you want to debunk this uh, common common wisdom, but is um, you get what you measure. So that's my only. I I love that concept of like the notion of measurement actually affects one's behavior, right? Um, which I I really staunchly believe in. So you can try to disabuse me of that one, but um, but measure everything does sort of uh, sound good uh, and have, you know, outcomes that are, that, that kind of suck, right? And, and that, that collide with the, you get what you measure. Because if you start measuring everything, then people will start optimizing for things that are very strange. That's exactly it. And I, I, just to be clear, I do not believe measure nothing, right? I mean, just like, I want to be totally clear that it, but I think it, it, and I think actually, Adam, you're phrasing it very concisely because, because people will change their behavior based on what you measure. And that is all the more reason to be really, really selective about what you measure. Like when you measure something in an organization, 
It's extraordinarily powerful. And you've got to use that power really wisely. And if you start measuring things that you don't want people to optimize for, you run the risk of people optimizing for them anyway. And th- that can be number number of commits. <laughs> oh my god! Number of sorry. No, absolutely no. You're right. I mean, it's 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 number of commits. If if you if you want to measure based on number of tickets, if you want to measure based on days in the office, if you want to, I mean, when you start to measure, especially the. These things that that are ultimately human behavior, creativity, and so on, you, can, I mean, things get really gnarly really quickly. So, so this isn't measure everything, but do, I don't remember this. But in in the early days of Open Solaris, they obviously had some measurement goal of how many licenses for Open Solaris the distro had gone out. So I don't know if you remember this, but what they decided was that each download allowed the person to put it on 10 different systems. There you go. So they just took, took the number of downloads and multiplied by 10. Done and done. Their MBO. <laughs> That's yeah. right. Okay, so uh, you mentioned MBOs. So MBO, management by objective. Uh, OKR, objectives and key results. I think that these are kind of, these are things that also sound really good that are slippery. you got to be careful. Like goals are good, and it's really good to have goals. But you need to be careful when you start to overly quantify this stuff because. So this is going to take us way off topic, but it just reminded me of said former employer who (laughs) um, mandated that employees could take no longer than 15 minute breaks and like a digital LED would start when one person left their cubicle. And so the thing that when when we were there in person at this very large headquarters uh, took note of is because one of our colleagues who was traveling with us was a smoker, uh, is that they had set the area in which you could smoke uh, about a seven and a half minute dead sprint <laughs> away from the office building. Problem solved. And so, <laughs> so you, like the folks in the office that were smokers had to literally run like a seven and a half minute mile to just hammer a heater and then run a seven and a half minute mile. <laughs> or, or just like <laughs> eat cigarettes at their desk. Why can't they just do that? I mean, <laughs> that's right. <laughs> and oh. so, yeah, that was, that was measuring everything. Yeah. You need to be off. And it lowered their insurance bill. There you go. Right. I, all right, I, I've got a um, another one that is obviously something that we don't believe in at Oxide, but is, uh, is one that's out there. Deep stealth. Mm. This is don't 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 tell anyone what you're doing until you're ready to make a big That's right. Yeah. Is this is this common though now? This I feel is... like building in public is the is the like default now, particularly with so many people building buzz over time because they recognize that there's value in building a following before you do a release. I feel like this is no longer common. I think that that is fair. I think that that is, um, but there are definitely companies that still do it for sure. There are still companies that are that that believe in deep stealth and that they are. I but I agree with you in that like the the zeitgeist on this is changing in part because it's wrong. I mean, I think that, I mean this is not a deep thought. Well, I, I actually think it may be more pervasive still, Ian, than you're suggesting. I think that the we're going to get the confirmation bias or, or because like the folks that are making noise, we notice and the folks that are uh, adhering to deep stealth, we don't. But anyway, I, I agree that it may be shifting, but I think there are still a lot of folks who believe 
in deep stuff. Yes. And I think that, that, you know, there are a bunch of problems with it. I think um, one is that you are, especially if you've got, if you've got a really big, important idea, I mean, I, I don't even remember who said it, but like it, it, people are concerned that someone's going to steal your idea. To the contrary, you're going to need to advocate for your idea over and over and over and over again because it's a big idea. It's a big, important idea. And like get started on that early, that advocacy early because it's going to take a long, long yeah. time. No, I, I've always felt that if your idea is so simple and so facile that merely hearing it would enable this, this swath of competition, then I don't think it's that good of an idea. Yes. Or it's an obvious idea. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. I mean, different kinds of startups. I mean, obviously, there are startups that engage in, at some level, obvious ideas um, that are uh, where there's like clear product market fit and they are simply trying to outrace one another. Um, but actually, to that. You mean like a platform for apartment rentals? Exactly. This is, I, I'm really trying to get us back to flow and I want to never leave. I really want us to. <laughs> $350 million from the same firm that told us that Oxide was the largest seed they had heard of in the history of Silicon Valley. Sorry, we're here. <laughs> and, you know, I mean, while we're here, the, the apartment rentals, the first block to be rented on the platform happened to also be owned by Adam. <laughs> it's like, it's like, well, that's weird. <laughs> yeah. Paid for maybe by the proceeds of a former endeavor that ended well. I, Sorry. It's just amazing. It's, uh, I, you know, now I understand where you guys have been all day. You know, it, not like two hours ago, maybe it was more like three hours ago, when Steve was shaming me for listening to a VC podcast over the weekend. And meanwhile, he was just like mainlining flows. <laughs> the flow investment. Uh, so, yeah, no, I think Steve has officially relapsed. It is, well, no, it, what is actually frustrating? From, from the same BC firm that's talking about let's build, you know, I mean, I think it is frustrating when you've got, and, you know, I actually really, I have to say, I admire, you know, we had Seth and Ian on a couple of weeks ago and watching a bunch of the hard tech VCs, you know, VCs generally don't criticize one another's investments, but that's not true today. And I actually admire the fact there are a couple of hard tech VCs that were <laughs> calling a 16 C out for this. Steve, I think you were describing this as like, this would fail as a Silicon Valley plot line, that the, you would fire the writers. The writers. The writers would be like, sorry, guys, you've taken it way Yeah, like far. that's – This is ridiculous. <laughs> even for satire, this is, <laughs> this is too much. Exactly. So ble- satire has to be believable at some level. Uh, so another one kind of related to that maybe a little bit. I, I think that first mover advantage is a little bit of a I, – I, I, I don't know. First mover advantage I got mixed feelings about. There are a lot of companies that are the first movers in a space that don't end up, ultimately end up enduring. Well, then we're going to have to talk about fast follower as well. Ooh, yes. The other, the other side of that. Okay, yeah. So elaborate on that, Steve. Well, no. Just in contrast, a first mover advantage. There, I think there's a pretty conventional wisdom to this notion of being a fast follower, improving upon that pioneer's work. I mean, this is certainly something Dell did uh, in the '90s, and. Uh, that is, and, and maybe maybe it is less conventional wisdom today, and maybe it's because I came up at Dell <laughs> that that felt more like, <laughs> uh, a, a, you know, kind of take a look at market entrance and then uh, improve upon that and then build the bigger business. Um, but as I talk through it and think about it, maybe there are fewer examples of that. Maybe, um, maybe that is not conventional. Maybe that is the unconventional path. Uh, J- Jason, are you trying to get in? 
Well, I just when you start out the first mover, uh, it reminded me back of my days at uh, I guess I'd say at, at Sprint, where in on the on the wireless side in Sprint PCS before it was that in their whole thing was first to market, you know, the kind of in parentheses at all costs. Mm. Yeah, at all costs. Do we mean well, at all costs on that placard? Well, oh, they I mean they're you know like for example, I think like when three G you know was the big hype. You know, they made yeah. the first three G phone call, which was like you know between like some test things. It's and you know as I'm there, you know I'm young, but even there I'm like, you know, to me at least it seemed like you know first to good enough is probably better than just first to market because. You know, no one really cares. I mean, like, even in their press releases, like in the 2000s, you would see, you know, they'd always put in, you know, Sprint was the first all fiber optic long distance network. And it's like the 2000s, who cares? No, yeah. you talk to someone, who cares? No one. No one remembers. No one, you know, because at that point, you know, the whole thing kind of been, you know, just wasn't a differentiator. And yeah, and so, yeah, so that, that first market. Well, yeah, and I think actually, Jason, you point out, and also another interesting kind of fallacy. I think it, it people get kind of inside baseball with the way they kind of evaluate themselves, just like the peers, whether that is like capital raised or that all these kind of metrics that are not ultimately like happy customers. Uh, and you know, the the most successful companies really focus on like the customers, as you're saying, like, hey, I don't know if the like if the, the customer actually doesn't care who like wins this race; they care about who's actually going to ultimately provide them the service. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and, and Sprint definitely didn't care about the customer. I mean, that was the thing, again, as a you know, <laughs> young guy just starting out, but it's like, okay, uh, um, you, know, the, you know, one of the big things they kept on talking about was, you know, churn. You know, so they would have a lot of turnover in customers because the service was terrible. And, you know, to me, yeah, and their thing was, oh, but we're still, you know, net ad, you know, every quarter. You know, this is like in the early 2000s, you know, so there's still, you know, adding more and more people. It's like, yeah, but at some point it's going to stop. You know, and yeah. if you've done nothing with your churn, you know, it doesn't take a PhD to see what's going to happen, which is exactly what happened. <laughs> and so. Well, so th this is an interesting point. So I, th I do think that there's this idea that like customer service is kind of a cost center and that happy customer, that growth is more important than happy customers. And, but the most enduring companies actually leave happy customers in their wake. I, it's really, this seems like an obvious thing to say. I don't know, maybe this isn't even conventional wisdom, but I do feel there are so many companies out there that actually have a terrible customer experience, and that, but, but they're, in the, they're, they don't care necessarily. They're kind of on to the next, and it doesn't work in the long term. Um, hey, another one I wondered about, um, uh, and maybe this is not even conventional wisdom at this point. Fake it till you make it. Is that officially dead? Can we? Maybe we don't need to. I mean, I, I don't know. It has still that sort of TED talky ring of truthiness to it, right? Where you can say it to someone, and they, and they they might sort of agree automatically. I know that we've we've talked about that in at least two other spaces. Um, I thought I thought we were off flow. Can we? Can we move <laughs> <laughs> oh, I should have seen it coming. You got there first, Steve. The, the, well, and I think that, but I, I also think that this social media has made the fake it part of it a little bit has made it worse, right? I mean, you and you have the kind of the you know the the Ryan Preslows of the world, um, who are you know are kind of allowed to say whatever they want on social media, and they portray this picture of a company. That and with as we know with private companies, I mean you you, they, you you can say what you want and people in fact they do say what they want, 
and they create this mythos of success in order to try to create success. And so I think people do still believe it, unfortunately. And it really does not work, I don't think. Not in the long term. Yeah. I mean, you better make it quick. Yeah, the, seriously. The, the, build the flip if you're going to fake it till you make it. Seriously. Uh, I got one more in this sort of zeitgeist of, of VCs. One thing I've heard from a bunch of VCs is like, uh, you know, hire smart people and figure it out from first principles. And, mm. um, and, and I th- it just so understates or undervalues experience or people having, mm. you, know, you, you don't want to be beholden to the status quo, but then it, it also is sort of almost um, like anti-intellectual or, or anti-learning or, you know, valuing things that have come before. There's a balance here. And I think it's just another pithy way of describing uh, you know, something in, in, in a way that's way too simple where first principles aren't going to serve you well. I think you're right. And I think this idea that like you should, you should be in a startup as like your first job in your career, you should start it. If you want to start a company, you should start a company when you're 23. It's like, actually, if you want to start a company, you should seriously consider getting a lot of experience in a particular domain that's interesting to you and then go start a company. Uh, I, I think it's a bit of a fallacy that you can't. I mean, so I, I actually think, and you know, I don't know to what degree it's conventionalism or not, but the, the fact that you you know you can't start a company if you have a family, for example, if you have kids. Um, I mean, I feel that the uh, you know, and Steve, you and I have joked that you know, if we were running a VC fund, like the thesis would be people with kids, um, because I, I think that you get so much wisdom. When you get that much deeper in your career, that there's so many mistakes that you don't make, and it just goes to your, you know, your earlier move fast and break things. But there are so many mistakes that you don't make only because you've already made them. <laughs> I mean, that's I think there are so many mistakes that we apparently. I certainly there's so many mistakes that I have to apparently make on my own that I have not been able to learn the easy way on so many things. That's hard to learn them the easy way. I don't know. Like it feels like uh, you, you really learn them, learn them the hard way, and it, they're indelible lessons. Okay, so I do think that this gets to another one that I have, which is around listening to advice, which is kind of ironic because we've more or less been dispensing advice this whole hour. But I do feel that you have to be very careful when you listen to advice from something that worked. Or from someone who, in other words, when success teaches you nothing, I feel. And it is certainly, and oh God, back in the day, we had a board member who was at Cisco uh, front until like mid 2000, like left Cisco before, the, before things busted out. And I swear in his mind, the reason Cisco lost whatever 90% of its value was because he had left Cisco. I mean, he just had this idea that like, <laughs> I created the dot-com boom, and when I departed Cisco, everything fell apart. And even though, like, that is obviously false, that's a narrative that was very clearly deep in his head. And I feel that, like, when people succeed, they attribute it to all sorts of random-ass things. And it just doesn't – they're not required to be very introspective. And I think people take advice then from people that have putatively succeeded. It's like, no, no, like, that advice you're taking – it has nothing to do like that company was successful, but it had nothing to do with why this person thought they were successful. And yeah. but I think, I mean, yeah. when, when, so, when I was describing this to someone, this is years ago and they pointed me at cargo cults, it all kind of clicked into place where, you know, you have these folks who watch, watch a thing happen. Don't necessarily understand why it happened, but are happy to attribute it to, 
to whatever it was they thought was important, independent of where they joined in the journey and the relevance of the thing that they are happy to attribute it to. But I agree. So it, it is very challenging to discern indelible lessons from success. Um, and as opposed to failure, as, 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 as you've alluded to, much easier to discern lessons from failure. Because you have to. I mean, it, you, you have to be like, what the fuck just happened? Like, I thought that we were, and you, I think, I feel you have to take it apart. Because, um, and I also feel like you have this when you've got companies, I mean, certainly, I mean, Steve, God, you've seen this on the go-to-market side so many times, where a, where growing a sales organization quickly worked because a product had product market fit. Growing that sales organization did not create that product market fit. And, you know, you, you can end up uh, mistaking, conflating correlation with causation. And then you build out a large sales, sales team, a large go-to-market team when you don't have product market fit and the company dies. Yeah, you have a playbook that you go rinse and repeat everywhere. Uh, when that actually wasn't what caused the success at the time. And yeah, I mean, I, I sorry, I wanted to chime in on the whole uh, kids and, and the like. I was busy looking up uh, mythos, the pronunciation of that, just because... Oh, it come on, me. don't do this to me I'm right so now. Sorry. I'm so hey, sorry. I, I, just... <laughs> I, well, actually, you'll be, you'll be happy to know that there are multiple recommended pronunciations online. Uh, mythos does appear to be the, the more common of them, but... Uh, I have not yet found a mythos. It's probably out there. Um, sorry, I've derailed this once again. So you, uh, you know, I would say this is my personal nadir, but I'm still not convinced <laughs> on pronouncing that correctly. But uh, yeah, I, I, I think it's more just. I mean, yes, like having kids certainly gives you a full dose of failure, and so that is helpful to learn from, uh, and just just experience in general. I mean, successes, failures. Uh, it, I think what we were talking about just folks that are starting companies that have been through the highs and lows of uh of the hard times of building companies uh, it, it can be helpful when you you hit what is inevitably going to be the ups and the downs uh kids will certainly prepare you well for that plenty of downs <laughs> um Hi, I just wanted to chime in and say um, there's actually a word for what, what, we're, what you were talking about earlier, where someone who um, uh, someone who has had success and they speak to that success, and you know it may or may not actually be related to what they did. Uh, there's a term for that, and it's called survivorship bias. Uh, totally, absolutely, yeah. yes, yes, yeah, that's exactly it. And that they people they I mean I do love obviously the image of the of of the the, the plane World War Two returning and yes drawing the wrong conclusion. exactly totally the, yeah um, it is the, the list of cognitive biases page on Wikipedia is a very good rabbit hole to fall down if you haven't already. Mm, yeah, I'm gonna go fall that down that hole right now. I know uh, a couple other folks uh, joined us. Did, did you want to give us your uh, do you have ones in mind of Things that sound good but are actually are. I like this kind of like this TED Talk way of phrasing this, Adam. I, I in part because you're throwing <laughs> TED Talk under the bus. Yeah, well, that's how I feel. I got so trolled by Gladwell on this return to work thing. I gotta say, I didn't Did see you? it. No. I didn't oh see it. God. I mean, Gladwell already drives me nuts because he says things that are, sound plausible, but as you take them apart, it's like ah, it turns out that's actually not true. But it's, it sounds good, but it's actually not true. But the he just had this this thing about how people are acting irresponsibly by not returning to the back to the physical office, and that leaders were acting irresponsibly by not forcing them back to the office. 
And it's like, are you kidding me? That's so weird. It was very weird. It's it's it was anyway. It, um, but yeah, you got me on. So yeah, anyway, sorry. A couple other folks have have uh, joined. You want to give us your uh, your thoughts? I will. Um, so I've done that now. <laughs> Do you feel better? Yeah. Did you shout while muted? That 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 can be very productive. There's another op-ed he wrote earlier about how good it is to not work in an office. It's like, (laughs) I know it's fun. I know. Well, there you go. That's it. That's it. Well, yeah. Can we get back to a a less aggravating topic? Like, yeah. So BCH, you, uh, you joined us. Oh, sure. Actually sort of about back to what you're characterizing as, um, um, people with children, but um, more along the lines of you have to go to battle to become battle hardened. So whether you, whether you say that's with children or whatever, but um, and I came to that. Uh, someone impressed that upon me actually with uh, version control. I was working on a project that was still on CVS, and they were hemming and hawing whether or not to go to Mercurial or Git or whatever. Um, and a lot of people, of course, like to crap on CVS for reasons. But the other thing is that it's, it's a known entity and um, you stuck with it. And the, and the, the leader's point was that you don't become battle hardened without going to battle. CVS has been there. We're not in a race to get off of it. We'll do it, but uh, it's, it's, it's not that bad. So and I extrapolate the battle hardening and battle to other places now, not, not necessarily in support of CVS just for the record. I believe that the that, that the Gen Zers describe this as Lindy. I believe this would make CBS Lindy if I think we're using that properly. But you know what? I, probably not. No. <laughs> Blank look. I can't help you out. You're on your own. I mean, sorry, <laughs> sorry to let you drop on the floor on that stage dive, but I, I can't even break your fall. <laughs> right. It's, it turns out like it was an empty, it was, it was just an empty. Totally empty stage. <laughs> and I really need medical attention right now. No, the Lindy effect, also known as Lindy's law, does exist. It's become very trendy to say basically the the the, I, the, ex- I feel like the existence is- of something. It, the existence of something tells you something about its future longevity. To the point of of CVS, the fact that CVS has existed so long tells you that it will continue to exist. It feels like though the Lindy effect is something Mark and Gladwell would like to talk to you about. Oh God! Okay, hoisted by my own petard. Fine. Yeah, that's fine. I do, moving right I along. Mean, it's no, exactly yeah. the kind of thing that, like, he would love to talk about it at length, and also there'll be like a hundred counterexamples that curiously didn't make it into the text. Like, I didn't know you're right. The, the the pigs are walking on their hind feet, Josh. I'm embarrassed for myself. So thank you very much for for keeping us grounded. Exactly. That's why I'm here. <laughs> that's right. That's uh, okay. I got. I think I got one more on my list. We're, we're definitely getting uh, through it all here. Um, one blitz scaling. I hate this term. Yeah, and this is um, Reed Hoffman's term, right? Reed Hoffman's term. Yeah, yeah. I and I, I mean, I don't know. I I mean, I kind of get what they're getting at, but th- this idea is that you are that that you the way you build a company is by building a company. Like you, you're trying to basically build the company as fast as possible, and I I, I think that that makes sense. I don't know. I you know I I. I Try to qualify it. I'd... Well, I, you know, I, I, I think it's a lovely visual, right? It's, it's this idea of like of overrunning your supply lines, like building, like growing faster than is sustainable, 
as a way of, of chasing this, this, this goal, this business objective that's on the horizon. I think the irony is you still hear this in lots of places, but, but Greylock, where, where, where Reed, I think, I think pioneered this, has definitely moved away from it and, okay. and rec- yes. recognized the problems with it. I would love a book on companies associated with philosophies that have moved away from that exact philosophy but are still associated with it. Like Agile? Like Agile? Like Zappos and Holacracy? Yeah. Did you get trolled by this over the weekend? I'm so sorry. I, 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 I saw you getting trolled by it, but I, I had too many you, obligations to get trolled myself. I'm sorry. I, I, I so admire you seeing me drowning and breathing in water and simply walking on and that, that is Ooh, saving yourself. Up. Like right. block for 24 hours. I wish all I needed was that button. <laughs> exactly. Averting your child's eyes as I just like slowly drift under the waves, breathing in holacracy. What's wrong with that man, daddy? Nothing. Nothing. Move on. Nothing. But that looks like, don't we know him? We do not know. No. You've never seen him before in your life. Keep going. Keep going. Oh, my God. It's like stack ranking is one of those things. Oh, stack ranking is another good one. That's a good one. That, but the, yes. the, idea, the idea that you there are simply people that you always must fire. Well, and like stack. Oh, okay. That okay. Then you're getting into a good one. This is going to get Steve's dander up, and Adam probably yours too. The idea that that we are like a sports team. We're not a family. We're a sports team. I thought we were a rock band. Well, no, we're a rock band that <laughs> oxide, Josh. But I that's that that Josh. You know, that's we, we say that on the inside voice. We actually don't tell everyone else that we're a rock band. No, no. The the but if you the, this idea. This is like um. Brian, what's his name at Coinbase? Why am I blanking on, on the Coinbase guy? Uh, they're big on this. Like th- th- where um, – God, I guess I'm, I'm half a distance away, half a step away from no politics at work, which is another myth. But the the, – The mission-focused guy? Mission-focused guy um, who – but th- there, there's this idea that like we are a sports team. And I feel that this – don't you feel like people talking about this? Adam, this is not trolling you the way it trolls me. Uh, talk, t- talk more about how it trolls you. I, I, I feel some trolling coming on. Okay. Exactly. I can, I can, I can feel a troll coming on. No, the, this idea that like, we are going to act as if we are a sports team. Netflix did this. This kind of goes into like this fire fast idea that like, we are this kind of creme de la creme sports team, professional sports team. And I just feel like it drives me nuts because it's people who don't know anything about professional sports in a lot of ways. We're, work, like... we're working within the salary cap rules and we're going right. to trade with other teams in the same league that we're in. Right, exactly. And it's, it, it, they're all, I think people are very, uh, they, they kind of pick and choose from, from that analogy. But uh, Josh, your stack ranking one is, and, and I, so I think stack ranking is, is something of a manifestation of this. And it feels like, I don't know, this feels like a good idea. Like, I'm going to rank my team. I mean, why would I not, like, rank my team from, like, one to whatever, N? And then I'm going to push the bottom 10% into the bay. So I think that it's like, no, no, I'm not going to push the bottom 10% in the bay. But I think then you hold, once you rank them all, you're like, oh, wait a minute. Why wouldn't I push the bottom 10% into the bay? I think it's like <laughs> the, the very, <laughs> you know, it's like, wait a minute. Yeah, actually, why, why, why do I have? I did, the, I did the rankings. You guys are literally last in the list. That's that's not that's not good. That's not good. Exactly. And I think that that it, and I, Josh, this is a, good, a very good point too about like the. I think companies have moved away from this, but this whole idea of taking the you know you're going to take your bottom performers and and remove them, um, which is rank and yank, is what it was called at Intel. 
Um, how do you, like the idea that you can even measure performance is this echo of like the worst kind of Taylorism, which is another thing that I feel like uh, people have been into and then less into over time, perhaps management science as a specific discipline. Like, yes. And I think that Taylorism has very little applicability to creative endeavors is part of the problem with, and um, have you read the, the, Josh, have you, have you read the Sloan book on that? On uh, It's like Frederick Winslow Taylor, I think in the one best thing, the one best way, what is it? Um, it's really interesting. Do you, so do you know anything about Taylor, Adam? No. Okay, so this guy was... He, he, was, a, he was a stand-up fella. <laughs> Josh really looks up to him. Uh, he So what this is kind of back in the day, I want to say that he you know, lives at kind of the turn of the century, so late 19th, early 20th century, and he um, was big on, in manufacturing, I'm going to go measure how long it takes to do everything. And then it's like, okay, I have measured, you know, it takes, you know, eight seconds to take the cog from this stack and put it to this stack. So I, I take eight seconds, you know, I, I, I kind of divide 60 seconds by eight. And then I kind of, basically, I'm going to multiply this out. And here are how many hundreds you should do in a day. Um, and as a, and I think he, you can argue. I don't know why, Josh. I'm taking the, the side of Fred, Frederick Winslow Taylor. Um, it, Go on. Exactly. Uh, but I think that you can argue that he's coming along at a time when we are moving from kind of a craft economy to an industrial economy, and some of these measurements made sense. But it's definitely taken to an uh, arguably taken to an extreme in in even this kind of rote work, but then definitely taken to an extreme when you get into any kind of creative endeavor where it does not make sense to measure the amount of time it takes, you know, measure, I'm going to measure the amount of time it takes to fix a bug. And this is that I'm going to multiply it through. And there you go. That's how many bugs you should fix a day. It's like, yeah, it's not going to work. Um, so I think that, yeah, the, the, the rank and yank does not work. I would like to think that fewer organizations are doing this, but I don't know. I can't tell. It, it may be changing rapidly as, as the economy creates pressures to, to yank. Yes. Oh, God, the whole, like, the Zuck Google thing of, like, their problem is employee laziness. Did you see that? <laughs> I did see that. I wasn't, I wasn't so distracted to not be trolled by that. I mean, come on. I mean, if, that they, is... would, if they would just move the widget from bin A to bin B in seven seconds instead of eight, then, you know, I think uh, we'd all be happier. I also feel like... I feel that we may, I may talk to more meta employees than Zuck does. It's like morale is not high, your company, by the way. I mean, you, you, you have a morale problem. And the way sure. this, this, this is maybe not the way to solve this morale problem. When the post was written from his hoverboard in Lake Tahoe. Mm. <laughs> is could that true? Could we not fire our way out of this morale problem? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> There you go. Keep yes. firing. <laughs> keep keep firing. Absolutely. Well, they they, they did hire like forty one thousand people over the last three years or some outrageous number, which is like that's a lot of people for that's okay. Yeah, like who made that decision? <laughs> and, and I don't think it's your uh, your employees that made that decision. Uh, Drew, I'm gonna yeah. I'm gonna take a moment to make a point at the worst possible time after the talk about Zuck, but. Um, you know, there's been talk of like a tech downturn coming and surviving the 2001 crash and all that. And it had me thinking about what is different. And 
I think one of the things that is different that relates back to the fake it till you make it and to the deep stealth is that we've sort of like left an era where we were pretty sure what we were doing wasn't totally legal, but we were just going to digitize someone else's business and let them sue us later. I think the deep stealth really played into the sort of like, you know, let's get bought before, uh, before we get sued out of existence kind of thing. I'm curious what other people who lived through the, uh, the Ooh, 80s and let, 90s think about that. Let's get bought before we get caught. Exactly. <laughs> Wait, is that actually a thing? Was that a, was that a thing that people said? Did we say that in that day? I, um, yeah, that's interesting. I don't know that to what degree. I, I mean, so, okay, let me ask you this. Do you think that companies were shadier in 2000 than they were in 2021? For the most part, yes. I think we have uh, sort of concentration okay. of evil in the, of some very large companies, but I think uh, the you know first uh, or maybe it's the last ninety percent of the distribution was pretty much fake companies in the nineties. This but is a really interesting so, premise, right? Because but it, how many companies recently have been started, like in the last five years, where the whole business model is <laughs> essentially like violating the law as hard as you can? Like moving into new markets to ignore, expressly ignore existing regulation. I mean, Airbnb, Uber, all of the like, all of these businesses that are effectively attempting to shirk, if not labor law, then many other laws as as fast as they can until they can. I don't know what the second step is, but like, you know, the, certainly the first step was not uh, super legitimate. Josh, did the makers nineties? It was just that we didn't know what we were going to do to make any money, like. <laughs> So I think it okay, obviously depends on one's experience. And I worked for a company that was basically not shady, I'm broadly, I mean, Sun had other problems, but was not shady, in the late 90s or 2000s. I think there's no comparison. I think that it is, we are, oh, did Drew drop? <laughs> Drew, Drew, Drew may have left. The, we, I think companies are way shadier now. But maybe yeah. I'm, I, I mean, the whole Web3 thing. We've got a whole, like, sector that's built on, right? Yeah, yeah no, right. I mean, and I think back then you had more sort of manipulation of numbers. I'm, this is this is arbitrary um, and kind of fabrication. But now you have, sure, Web3 and, and lots of crypto shenanigans. But you also have, like, more explicit, like, monetization of people's privacy or of people's data and people's telemetry um, that that feels um, like shadier in ways that are much more exploitative. Yeah. I mean, Ring, Ring was bought by Amazon, right? But they were a company to begin with. And their whole thing was like, let's create the machine from Batman or something that shouldn't exist. The one with the cameras pointed at literally everything. You know. Josh, do you own a Roomba? Do I? <laughs> about the vacuum cleaner thing? No, of course not. Good lord, why would I allow the robots into the house? <laughs> no, yeah, exactly. I mean, it just it seems like it's asking for trouble. It can move around on its own, Brian. <laughs> no, there is no, no no Amazon connected firmware allowed in your house. I, I think I think it is just hilarious that they've bought the, the vacuum cleaner company because it can map people's houses. I think that's uh, but also completely on brand. It is very on brand. For the, for, the, for the company that already has all of the surveillance that exists, what can we possibly afford next? Yeah, and, and one medical. I mean, those those two just if 
I mean, as a as a previous <laughs> customer of One Medical and a current Roomba or owner, I'm starting to look at the Roomba a little more shiftily as it like delivers so we, my we medication. Out the front door, we can see inside because the vacuum cleaners, and then we can see all of the internal scans that we've taken. <laughs> so, I inferred that Drew was dropped by spaces. Um, Drew, I'm sorry for catching this on the recording. I, he has re he is no longer here. Has replied to the tweet saying "fake it until you make it." Colin, exactly what Spaces is doing. <laughs> so <laughs> I, we do we do apologize. Yeah, sorry, Drew. It is, uh... And maybe on that note, I don't know. Are, are there others that we? I think we, this has been a pretty good roundup. I feel of uh, um... yeah. Way to bring the list, Brian. That was great. Yeah, well, I, I apparently this this was in me. I had to get I had to get a lot of stuff out, so I'm I'm glad to get it out there. Um, and I'm I, hardware is hard, but so is everything else. Don't, like your relationships are more important than than second sourcing things. Deep stealth is a waste of time. First mover advantage doesn't necessarily exist. Uh, forget blitz scaling. What else have we got? Uh, and have four offers. Did we do nobody got fired for buying IBM or whatever? <laughs> We do that one. I mean, not do that one. But that's a, that, maybe that's a good one to close on. Yeah, no one got fired for buying a, a, IBM. I feel that the uh, the, the the current ex the example of that is probably no one got fired for spinning up on the public cloud. I think, right? Well, think and especially if you're going to go cloud, it's like AWS. It's like, why yes. would you do anything else? The, the the comments are interminable and insufferable. Like, you know, uh, yes. Uh, but I'm not sure that how much that that's a. That's a myth. I mean, I think I do feel that like it. People don't generally get. I mean, it, it, they they when you make safe choices, it doesn't feel like it's risky. So, um, yes. that probably probably does feel like a safe choice at the moment. But, um, all right. Well, this has been uh, this has been fun. Um, Adam, Adam, Steve, Josh, uh, others. Thanks for uh, thanks for joining us with your contributions. Um, we are going to have a, uh, a good week. So next week we are talking about, uh, we're going to have uh, Eric and Tom and a bunch of the engineers here to talk about bringing up the backplane, cable backplane and oxide and talking uh, signal integrity. So um, this is going to be, be a great one. I'm really looking forward to it. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be awesome. And uh, we, we are going to go uh, to the analog that, that exists beneath. This is the really, the, the truly scary part of the system is that these systems are not actually digital. Digital's a lie. Uh, we're going to get into the, the lie of digital talking with the high speed backbone, which is going to be a lot of fun. Um, and then a uh, week after, we're going to have Kate talking supply chain. So that's, that's also going to be, uh, it's going to be terrific. Kate's going to be educating us on, on how to manage a supply chain, how to deal with the supply chain during a supply crunch. So it should be a lot of fun.